0: Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Good morning everyone. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, Matthew's Gospel. Let me, uh, let me pray for us as we begin this morning. Grant great Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. Uh, we do have this incredible privilege this morning of listening to your word, listening to you speak to us personally, uh, to us as a church. Uh, Lord, please now do your work by your spirit to change us, to challenge us, uh, help us uh, as we listen and take it on. Help me to speak faithfully, truthfully, graciously. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, how are you going with uh, Matthew's Gospel? We've been going a number of weeks now. Uh, we're, we're going week by week along Matthew's biography. Uh, here's what I'm hearing from people. Uh, this is incredibly challenging. Uh, this is confronting. Uh, it feels like Jesus is giving me a punch in the face every week. Uh, a loving punch in the face, perhaps, um, And can I say, if that's the way you're feeling, if that's what you've been digging into in your small groups listening here on Sundays, that's exactly right. Uh, You're listening, you're taking it in, let me encourage you to keep doing that, dig deep. Uh, There's some profound truths here in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, Why does Jesus speak so, so clearly, so impactingly, so confrontingly? It's because he wants us to get it, because it's so, so important that we get these things. Uh, So here we are in Matthew chapter 20 and it's eternal things that are on view again. Uh, So here's that massively important topic, the kingdom of heaven, Uh, God's people, who enters, who doesn't enter, how you enter, how you'll never enter, uh, really, really important for each and every one of us. Uh, But here's another thing today on view, the character of God. Who is God, uh, the king of this kingdom? who is he? That's incredibly important for us to grab hold of. Um, So turn with me, open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. Uh, As I said, this is Matthew's biography of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, his historical account, stepping us through uh, the life of Jesus. Uh, We're in that section of Matthew's Gospel where we're considering the kingdom of heaven. Jesus keeps telling us, this is what it's like. Uh, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, If you were with us last week, we uh, heard from Jesus a conversation with a young rich man uh, who could not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus says, actually, it's impossible for people, for for men and women to enter the kingdom of heaven, but what's impossible for you is possible for me. And uh, last week, did you notice it ended with these ominous words from Jesus... Look at verse 30, chapter 19. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Uh, that is, those in this life who you think, surely they are first. They are the great ones. Uh, they are the entitled, the rich, whatever category you want to put on it, the religiously successful. Uh, in the next, they are the last. Uh, and those who you're tempted to look down upon, that those in this life who look like the last... The poor, the humble, uh, the broken, the, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the outsiders, they could never come in. Actually, they're going to become the first in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the same line finishes our chapter, did you notice, today. Uh, look at verse 16 of chapter 20, Jesus says it again. The last will be first and the first will be last. The same theme, the same great reversal. Jesus is working us over. Do you get this, that I'm turning things on their head? Uh, things, as you think about the kingdom of heaven, don't think like the world thinks. Let me tell you what it's like. It's, it's it's very, very different. Here's what it's like in the kingdom of heaven. Things are going to be turned upside down. Now, I don't know how much of a shock that is to you, but can I just say to you... Um, I feel like growing up, my whole education taught me the exact opposite. <laughs> I feel like the schools that I went to, um, you know how schools have the insignia, the lo- the, and they have some kind of Latin word underneath, and no one knows what that means? And I don't know what that means in my school either. Um, but I feel like the, the, the logo there, the, the insignia, the, the motto of my school wa- was, the first shall be first and the last shall be last, try to be first. (laughs) I think that was the the vibe I picked up. Um, I went to a boys' school in year seven. There was 219 boys in my year. For every subject, we got ranked out of 219. Now, I don't think that happens anymore. I think uh, for the youth who are amongst us, I think you need to ask your teacher, you need to press a little bit harder to what rank did I get, where did I come in the year, But can you imagine that for every single subject, here's your mark and here's your rank. Uh, Can you imagine someone got 1 slash 219? Someone got 219 slash 219. You're either filled with pride or you're crushed with defeat. I don't know what they were thinking uh, at the time. But, you know, my year six teacher went a bit further than that. Um, I learnt since, uh, I think it was through college, one of my lecturers told me that when you're marking assignments, you, you put them in categories. Uh, so that's an A, you, you read through them, there's an A category essay, there's a B, there's a C, there's someone who's failed. And I'm going to put them in piles. Some teachers use the, the steps of, in their home. These are all insider things for teachers that I'm learning. <laughs> uh, but my year six teacher uh, decided to skip that step and decided, why don't we just do all of that in the classroom, (laughs) in front of everyone? And so he got us all to put our our assignments up in front of us like this, and then he would order us around the classroom from first to last. There was a line of 30 people. And you can imagine, if you're at the top of the line, there you are, looking with great pride. Look who I've beat, all these guys. (laughs) Don't try this if you're a teacher. Uh, You're at the bottom of the line and you go, wow, I'm defeated, I'm crushed. First and last, Jesus is going to turn that line completely the other way around. Start thinking in very, very different terms when it comes to the Kingdom of God. The first, Jesus said, will be last, the last will be first. And today's passage is about how this is the case. How is this the case in the Kingdom of Heaven? And so what does Jesus do? He tells a story, uh, it's a made-up story, it's a parable, it's, it's an illustration. Um, so follow it with me, let's, let's have a look at the details of this story, uh, then we'll think about what's the point that Jesus is making and then we'll apply it to us and to our world. So that's where we're heading. So chapter 20 verse 1, look at the details and, li- and listen out for the way Jesus tells the story. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, if you're an Old Testament reader, if you're familiar with the Old Testament of the Bible, vineyard says God's people, that's the way God described his flock, his nation, his people. Uh, Jesus is using that same image of vineyard to talk to us, to redefine what does it mean to be in the people of God, the vineyard. Uh, the kingdom of heaven. And verse 2, the landowner agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, a denarius is, uh, in those days, it was equivalent to a day's wages. Uh, So whatever you think a day's wages is, uh, minimum wage, I think it's around Australia, $200, uh, $250, something like that, a fair, reasonable wage for the day Uh, he gives them. But notice what happens, verse 3, about nine in the morning... So several hours later, he went out and he sees others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. Uh, And notice that this happens three more times. So it happens, the landowner goes out again at 12 noon, the landowner goes out again at 3 o'clock, And then he goes out again at 5 o'clock, he finds people standing around doing nothing. What are you doing? Come into my vineyard, I've got work for you to do. Um, And so, everyone understand the story? Some have worked all day, uh, some have worked only half a day. Uh, The last group have only worked one hour. And then the clincher comes in verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman... Call the workers and pay them their wages. Now listen to this, it's really important. Beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So notice, let's pay the ones who came last, who got employed at five o'clock, before we dish out the wages for those who were there right from early in the morning. So verse 9, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So... Everyone sees the guys that got paid. Um, Everyone knows what those guys who came late got paid. Uh, And they're probably thinking to themselves, wow, they got a denarius. They got a whole day's wages and they came at five o'clock. Imagine what we will get, yeah? Verse 10, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, what happened? They began to grumble against the landowner. And here's the complaint, verse 12. They say, those who were hired last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Uh, It's very, very clear, isn't it? They think it's unfair and the landowner gets that that they're complaining and he speaks into that with an answer verse 13 but he answered them I'm not being unfair to you I'm not being unfair to you friend didn't you agree to work for a denarius take your pay and go I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money Or are you envious because I am generous? And then Jesus says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. There's the details of the story. Powerful story, isn't it? If you think into it, and we're going to do that. uh, Generous landowner, no no question he's a generous landowner, but the workers have complained. Uh, It wasn't fair. Uh, Someone got paid the same as me. I worked all day. Um, and the landowner realizes there's 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 grumbling happening here. There's a complaint. There's an issue of fairness here, and so he speaks directly to that. Now we'll come to we'll come to fairness in a in a minute. But what do you notice about this story? What do you think Jesus is telling us about the kingdom of heaven? I want to give you I want to give you four things that really hit me in the face as I as I read this. Uh, let me give you the first one. Here is a landowner who is very, very keen to invite people into his vineyard, yeah? Uh, Did you notice that as we went through the story? Uh, Verse 1, he went out early in the morning. Who was out there? Who can I invite in? Verse 3, about 9, he went out again to find more people. Verse 5, about noon, he goes out again and so on. Here is a landowner that all day invites people in to be part of his work, his vineyard, the kingdom of heaven. In fact, right up until the last hour, it seems as late as it can possibly be, here is the landowner who says, what are you doing? Come in, I want you to be part of this. And it's a very simple but very profound truth about God, isn't it? Because the kingdom of heaven is like this landowner. God is very, very keen for people to come into his kingdom. God is very keen for people to come into his kingdom. God is always inviting people and that's his, that's his direction. That's the kind of God he is since the beginning of creation. He's always invited people in to be part of his community with him. That's his heart. That's his direction. It was true for Israel. Uh, it's true in Jesus' time. It's true for us in the church. Right up to the end of people's lives, God keeps inviting people in. Right up to the end of time, to Jesus' returns, God will keep inviting people in. I wonder, today, if you're not in the kingdom of God, if you're not sure about that, is God inviting you today? Here's another opportunity. Uh, God wants you to come in. Uh, Let me encourage you, don't despise that invitation, don't waste that opportunity, don't presume you'll get another opportunity. Find out what does it mean to come into the kingdom of God. Talk to someone today, God wants you to come into the kingdom. God is so kind, he just keeps, keeps inviting. That's his heart. And a very obvious thing that falls off the back of that is that the problem with people entering the kingdom of God is not a problem with God. It's a problem for us, isn't it? It's not that God's not inviting. It's not that his heart's not in it. It's that we don't want to come, that we keep saying no. Let me tell you about a a guy I met uh, several years ago, Stuart, uh, who I didn't know him throughout his life. I only met him in the last three weeks of his life. Uh, But he told me that all his life he'd put off the decision to enter the kingdom of God, to come to Jesus in faith and trust. Um, And then right three weeks before the end of his life, he he had terminal cancer. Uh, We got a phone call from his wife and his wife, who's not a follower of Jesus, uh, says to someone at our church, I don't know who to talk to. Uh, my, My husband, I don't know how long he's got to live. But he keeps saying to me, I need to sort out my relationship with Jesus. Um, can someone help him? Um, and so, so, you know, I went to his bedside. I, I spoke to him about Jesus. He, he knew some things about Jesus. He knew about the kindness, the love, the forgiveness of Jesus. He knew that Jesus said he was Lord. And there he was three weeks before he died and he became a Christian. He, became, he came into the kingdom of God. There, there is the kindness of God. I mean, that, for so many people, that's not the case, isn't it? They get so good at saying no that on that last moment, they just keep saying no. But God in his kindness invited him. And God in his kindness helped him to see. I need to trust Jesus. I need to come into the kingdom of heaven. And that's, that's just the nature of God. He loves to see people come in. He keeps inviting Second thing I noticed is, notice the landowner invites people in to be what? To be workers in the vineyard, yeah? Uh, To be active in the vineyard. Uh, There they are standing around doing nothing. We're not told whether they're lazy or what they're they're up to. But God says, come and do something in my kingdom. Uh, What a privilege that God says, now I have a role for you in this kingdom, this vineyard, which is mine. It's it's what the disciples worked out, wasn't it? That they would have a very significant and exciting role to play in God's kingdom. Uh, yes, Jesus is the king, yes Jesus is on mission, yes Jesus is inviting people in. It's only by his power, his spirit, but actually you're gonna do the inviting. You're gonna help this kingdom grow. What an awesome privilege that you have to invite people into the most important thing in all the world, the Kingdom of Heaven. How awesome it is that you will get to participate in growing this Kingdom in maturity, in love, in number. What an awesome privilege. You were standing on the outside. God invited you in. Now you're part of something incredibly significant. We're workers in the Kingdom. Third thing, notice this story speaks to fairness and generosity. There's something going on here, isn't there? In the back of your head, is this fair, uh, what, what happens here? Is this right, what the landowner has done here? And, and there's that complaint about the landowner's fairness, isn't there? It, it, it's drawn out, as we saw, by the fact that the, the guys who came late get paid first so that everyone sees, look how generous... God has been to these guys. But then it evokes, it stirs up the sense of, hang on a minute, have I been treated unfairly? I feel cheated. Think about those two ideas with me for a moment, fairness and generosity. I want to suggest to you that they're two separate ideas, two separate categories. Uh, So as you think about generosity, I don't think you can measure that by the criteria of fairness. That's a different category. Uh, generosity is actually about going beyond being fair, isn't it? Uh, it's doing more than fair. Uh, once, it's the case for the landowner, isn't it? Once he is, he's fair, but then he goes over and beyond and shows great generosity, uh, which triggers the problem for some of fairness, but it doesn't need to because they're two separate things. Fairness and generosity uh, two different categories. So uh, let me give you a quick illustration. Imagine trying to teach a child about colors I don't know whether you've tried to do this um, How do you teach children about colors? Uh, you put up uh, yellow. there is yellow. Uh, look at that. That is yellow, and they ask you, "Is yellow big?" And you say, "No, it's not big. it's yellow." Uh, it's not big or small, it's, it's just yellow. Uh, maybe more helpfully, you say to the child, it's not yellow. Look, look. it's different to red and blue and black. It's a colour. It's a different category to big, small. There's big, small, we can talk about that, and we can talk about colours. They're two separate things. And I think that's what we need to think about as we think about generosity and fairness two different categories Um, so you can speak about what is fair what is just what is right Uh, if you like in wages what is lawful what is minimum wage Uh, then you can start to talk about are you being fair or unfair and then you can talk about being generous going over and above giving more And, and as you talk about that have that conversation that's not about fair or unfair That's more about how generous are you going to be? How generous has someone been to you? That's a different conversation, that's a different category. Now, when you understand these categories, you realise the worker's complaint is actually not about fairness at all in the end. It's actually about self-interest. They're actually more concerned about themselves. The landowner nails it in verse 15. Look at it with me. The second bit, are you envious because I am generous? It's the landowner saying, what's going on for you, worker? Why are you so cranky? (laughs) Are you envious because I've been generous? I think the implication is, absolutely you are. (laughs) You are cranky because I've been generous to others. The real issue that's going on for you is envy in your heart? Uh, you got what is fair, and so did they. Uh, it's just that they got more than fairness, they got extra generosity. And so the issue is not about fairness in the end, even though you've couched it in that way and you've talked about equality. Nobody's been treated unfairly, but what's going on for you is jealousy and envy you see what the landowner's done? The landowner has exposed the heart of the worker, yeah? Exposed what, what's really going on for them in their heart. Um, they agreed to pay, to be paid a denarius for their day's work. Uh, they weren't ripped off, but they're jealous that others got shown great generosity. And so you could say, the, as they raise the issue of fairness, it's a smokescreen screen for envy, for jealousy. And in fairness, to use that word, um, wouldn't we react in the same way? Do you know your own heart? You don't look down upon these, you you go, oh, I think I might say the same thing. It's only a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a mate who um, owns a small business, uh, has a handful of employees, and he said to me he couldn't believe at the end of last year he gave out bonuses to all his employees. And um, what is a bonus? A bonus is something over and beyond, isn't it? It's it's the boss being generous. Uh, It's the the boss sharing around the good spoils, if you like. It's not about minimum wage or what your contract says. There's nothing in your contract about bonuses. This is over and above. Uh, And one of his employees, uh, she got her bonus and it was thousands of dollars and she was excited. She was pleased. She was like, wow, I wasn't expecting this. This is amazing. Until, what do you think happened next? She was the bookkeeper and she knew what everyone else got in the company. She knew the bonuses of every single person. And when she saw that some people got more than her, she was incredibly cranky with the boss. Uh, she raised a complaint. Uh, it really revealed something within her. And Jesus is doing something profound here, isn't he? He's giving us an insight into God, the landowner, incredibly generous, exceedingly generous. But he's also confronting us as the worker. He's also saying something profound about human nature, isn't he? Uh, in, insight into who we are, that there's a problem within our hearts. So here's the question, am I able to rejoice in generosity when it's given to another person and not to me? Am I able to rejoice in generosity when I see it given to someone else, not to me? Isn't it so true that we're like that first worker, we haven't been treated unfairly but we struggle when someone else is treated with such generosity uh, we're meant to see how good and generous this landowner is and we're meant to see, actually, that's me and I have a problem. Now, who do you think Jesus has in mind when he tells this story? Who is it? Who are the first workers? Who are the last workers? Who are the ones being getting cranky with Jesus or getting cranky with the landowner? Who, is, who do you think in the time of Jesus is jealous that God is showing generosity to others? Who, who are the entitled ones, the people who become proud, who think they've got a place in the world that they've earned? Um, who are the ones who diminish God's great generosity? Well, as you step through Matthew's biography, isn't it the the religious ones? Isn't it the, the Jewish religious leaders in particular uh, who should have been greatly thankful for the way God had blessed them through history as God's people, as God's nation but have become entitled and arrogant. Uh, who get, how do they get to the point where they actually think we earned this, we deserve this, this is for us and no one else? When God said right from the beginning, this is a gift and I'm actually going to shower this gift not just on one nation but on all nations... They're the ones who are jealous that now others are coming in, the Gentiles, the nations, that right at the end of God's plan of salvation, there's going to be a flood of people coming in who are not Jewish, who are not not part of Israel. And they are outraged with Jesus. How could this possibly be? They're so angry with Jesus, they plot to kill Jesus, they conspire against him. And they eventually put him up on a cross. They falsely accuse him because they despise God's generosity. They will not have it. Well, it's good, it's good for us to pause for a moment, isn't it? Before you pay out on the Pharisees, what are you like when God shows generosity to other people? In your heart of hearts, are you excited? How good is that? Or are you jealous? It really presses into us, doesn't it? Are, are you? Do you feel entitled? Do you feel like God owes me? Or do you feel, no, actually, I've become, I'm, I'm part of the kingdom because I, I've received the gracious gift of God and it's the same for them as well. God's kindness to me is undeserved and it's undeserved for them as well. And I'm so, so thankful that others are coming in Here's the problem. If you've lived a life where you think, I've strived for God's recognition, God owes me, uh, isn't, let me put it really bluntly, isn't it fantastic that God has me in the kingdom? Then you will despise God's generosity towards other people. And it's a, it's a massive danger for us. The longer you've been a Christian, the more this will be a danger for you. And I don't know, don't know where you're at this morning. Uh, but it's a danger for us at salt. You've, you've, you've been a Christian for a while. You've, you've realised Jesus has called you in to be a worker in the kingdom. The, the, you know, the, there's a great harvest out there. Jesus wants more workers. I'm up for it. I'm in, it, I'm in there. I'm, I'm sacrificing. I'm giving myself to ministry. I've done it for many, many years. But here's the danger. You start to look at those years of service You start to think about the ministry that you've done, the sacrifices that you've made and you start thinking that somehow you were worthy uh, to be, be in the kingdom of God, that you deserve to be given more, that you've actually been hard done by and you look down upon someone who has wasted their life and then finally come to Jesus, who's made poor decisions and you haven't realised they come on the same equal footing of grace and kindness from God as you came and still stand? Massive danger for us. You can tempt, be tempted to feel ripped off, that somehow you're superior, that you've done the hard yards, that you've been in this church for longer. Uh, no. You're here because of the kindness of God, and they are here because of the kindness of God you get that. Let me give you the fourth and final point. It's a big one. The landowner is free to do with their money as they please. There's the other big one. Verse 15, the landowner says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Here's a, here's a humbling moment. Here's an incredibly humbling moment. The landowner is absolutely free to do whatever they want, it is their vineyard, it is is their land. Um, they They can be fair and this landowner has been fair and they can be incredibly generous and this landowner has been incredibly generous. It's his money, it's his vineyard, he owns it all and what does that say to us? If you're grumbling against the landowner, you're grumbling against God. It's that simple, isn't it? God is the one who owns everything. It's not just the vineyard, the kingdom. It's actually the whole universe. The The block of land is the universe that he owns. Uh, we haven't invited him into our world. He's invited us into his world. And then he's invited us into his kingdom. I reckon this story really challenges us about entitlement, doesn't it? What do I think God owes me? I reckon this says nothing. You can't enter the kingdom of God. God doesn't owe you anything. It's all his. It's all his generosity in the end. Uh, Do you do you get that? God is free. God is God. And we are not God. He's beholden to nobody. It's his world. It's the image of the potter and the clay. That's who God is. That is who we are. Everything we have is a good gift from him. We're not entitled to anything. We don't deserve anything. It's not a question of God being fair. If God were fair, we would all be lost. We'd all be under his judgment. What does Romans 3 say? Um, There is no one righteous, there is no one uh, who does good. God has been incredibly generous to us all. Uh, Anything we receive comes from him. Uh, This is particularly true of salvation, but it's, it's actually true of every good gift, isn't it? We're the undeserving ones. How do we receive anything from God? It's a good gift from him. How do we enter the kingdom of God? It is solely based on his gift of generosity. There is, there is no other way of entering. This is the idea that's celebrated throughout the whole Bible. Uh, but let me point to you a couple of verses that you might want to, want to press into yourself. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 says, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the Son in whom he loves. Uh, it all comes from God. It's all his free-flowing grace and generosity that we are in the kingdom, that we've been adopted, that we've been predestined. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says, We, by nature, are objects of wrath. That's where we're heading. Now, by God's grace, by his undeserved kindness, we've been made alive with Christ. Well, listen to Micah chapter 7. It says, Who is a God like you, who pardons sin... And forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. I reckon there's a, there's a real hard edge to this story this morning. When you think you deserve more from God, uh, when you think you've been hard done by, remember, you are not the landowner. You are not God, and God is free to do as He pleases. It's the answer that Job gets, isn't it? In his suffering, he pushes back to God uh, respectfully. He wants answers, and God doesn't actually give him an answer. What does God say to him? Here's something crucial that you must get right. He says to him, "Embrace yourself like a man," Job thirty-eight. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? I'm not answerable to you. I don't owe you an answer. And yet I'm going to be incredibly generous to you. God is free. He does as he pleases. Uh, He doesn't owe anyone an answer. We are answerable to him. And yet he's exceedingly kind uh, in letting us come into his kingdom and live in his world. Massive passage, isn't it? He's the God, the landowner, who is loves to invite people, invite workers into his vineyard. He loves to save, loves to see people come into the kingdom of heaven, loves to forgive, loves to show mercy, loves to shower gifts on people uh, within the kingdom. He's exceedingly generous. And I want to ask you this morning, as you sit with that, how do you respond to that? I want you to think about that this morning. Here's four possible responses for you briefly. Uh, thanks and joy. Are you thankful? Are you joyful? Because of Jesus' death, because of the kindness of God, you are in the kingdom of heaven. That's the place you want to land, isn't it? God doesn't owe us. Uh, we're not entitled to be in the kingdom but he, in his kindness, has made it possible. Be filled with thankfulness and joy. You haven't earned it, so be thankful, be joyful. I reckon it's also a rebuke, though, isn't it? It's a rebuke if you think that you deserve it more than other people. It's a real test of that, isn't it, of our hearts. Uh, it's right that we pour ourselves out in humble service towards God, uh, but we don't do it for recognition, we don't do it for praise. We do it in joyful response to God. We don't deserve God's kindness. We're not entitled to more uh, in the kingdom because of what we've done. That, this rebukes us. I reckon there's also a warning here too. Be prepared that people will be cranky with God because of his generosity. Uh, People will not like that God is exceedingly generous, that God doesn't choose the way the world chooses, that God doesn't line people up in the first to the last. He actually flips that line. Uh, Be prepared that some proud people will hate God's generosity. There's a warning here. But lastly, let me leave you with this one. Hope. I reckon this gives us amazing hope. Uh, as you think about God wanting to see people saved, as God sending out the invitations, are there not people who you've prayed for, you long for to enter the kingdom of heaven? Um, keep praying, keep sharing Jesus. Right up to the 11th hour, God is interested, God is got his heart towards showing generosity for people to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, God will shower his generosity on the most unlikely person. Be prepared for that. Keep praying towards that. Keep sharing Jesus so that that might happen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we're, we're so struck by who you are, the greatness of your character... You are the the fair and just God, but you are the God who is exceedingly generous. You are the God who loves to invite people in. You are the God who's made it possible by the death of Jesus, by your sheer kindness to forgive us, to save us, that we might enter the kingdom of heaven. You have a place for us, a job for us, in this kingdom that you've created. Father, please keep humbling us, Uh, as we live in your kingdom, as we work in your kingdom, as we invite others into this magnificent kingdom. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.